Carice Laguerre, like many parents, suffered in silence while her children struggled with the symptoms of undiagnosed sleep and breathing issues. One visit to a pediatric dentist changed the trajectory of their lives. Already a registered dental hygienist, Carice trained with Sandra Holtzman, Louise Laney, and Sarah Hornsby to establish her oral facial myology knowledge. With this initial training and numerous others in a few short years, she has not only resolved all her children's issues, but helped hundreds of patients, children, and adults alike discover how great life can be functioning on full. Her private practice, the Mayo Spot, is now a leader in the quest for myofunctional therapy awareness in public education. And her latest book, Accomplished Delves into How to Sleep Better, Eliminate Burnout, and Execute Goals. Carice's mission is to transform and positively impact as many households as possible through dynamic breath, brain, and body work. And without further ado, let's get started. Hi, my name is Kirby Ingalls, and you're listening to the True Success Podcast. My goal is to help you find true success by helping you live a rich and satisfying life, a life of happiness and meaning, and becoming a pillar of your community. This podcast is designed to inspire you to write a new narrative, revolutionize the way we live, and create a ripple effect that resonates with future generations. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. I am here with Carice Laguerre, and she is a specialist in breathing and sleep, alternative health, and myofunctional therapy. And you're probably wondering what that is all about. And I did too when I first saw it. And so, but once I got to know Carice and her profile, um, I understood that this is an extremely important topic that, again, we should all know about because we all have children that. Uh, in our lives. And some of us may be suffering from these same effects that she can help us with. So without further ado, I would love for Carice here to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her. Well, thank you so much. First of all, I'd like to thank you for allowing me this space. Um, I appreciate being here. Um, I am a registered dental hygienist and also a myofunctional therapist. Um, I'm a mom of four, a wife of one, you know, the polygamy thing's not working out for me. So wife of one. And um, I am super excited to share a lot more about the myofunctional therapy. Mm -hmm. Myofunctional therapy is a question I get asked about pretty much every single day. And to break it down in the simplest way, possible because I love to keep things super simple. Mm -hmm. It's like personal training for all the muscles below the eyes, but above the shoulders. So we work with that range of muscles to help strengthen and coordinate them. It helps facilitate better breathing, chewing, swallowing, and sleep. Well, that's interesting. Uh, better chewing, swallowing, and sleeping. And you said it's from the shoulders um, to the eyes or the eyes down the shoulders, I think is how you said it. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, so it kind of almost, if, if I was to guess, that's like eyes, ears, nose, throat, 
but I think there's a little bit of variance there. <laughs> yeah. So we have dozens of muscles in our face. Our oral facial structure is so complex. Um, even the tongue and the tongue is a very important organ. I consider a respiratory organ, mm -hmm. but the tongue itself, a lot of people like to think of it as just one muscle or like one big muscle. Um, there's even this common misconception that it's like the strongest muscle in your body, but the tongue is actually comprised of eight different muscles that work in pairs. So there's actually 16, if you're looking at both sides of it, that are going to be innervating it and getting it to move in different ways and to extend or to cuff or to retract. And, um, all of these muscles, they have to be working together in unison in order for us to achieve certain things and to have good function. We don't have good function, it's going to lend itself to a lot of compensatory patterns. So when we have muscle dysfunction, that's when you get general dysfunction. It's going to lead itself to a lot of different manifestations in poor overall health and wellness. Yeah, I think you said something that's extremely important there for me. Um, and a big misconception and big misconception that I had prior to this was the tongue was one muscle. Um, I always knew it was a muscle, but I just thought it was one big muscle. Uh, a story that I could relate to that was five months ago, my wife broke her foot and, you know, and she had had three plates and three pins put in. And most of the listeners on the show know about this because I've continuously mentioned it because it's affecting me uh, even to this day. But when the doctor pulled me back into the room after her surgery, he was like, look, he's like, uh, there's probably more joints in her foot than you realized. And I thought, well, the ankle and the toes, right? He's like, no, there's a lot more joints than that. And he started breaking it down. And I was like, wow, I don't know what I don't know. And I need to, you know, seek out the information that I don't know rather than rely on my own understanding. Because obviously we don't get a whole lot of this growing up through, you know, school or and in college and a lot of these other things and unless you have something that personally affects you uh, you may not have that 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 understanding uh of of you know how um complex this could really be um and like a specialist like yourself how valuable they are so you're a dental um a registered dental hygienist um so tell us a little bit about how you got into that field and what kind of inspired you to get there. Oh, registered dental hygiene. I wish I had like a really big story about registered dental hygiene. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been into teeth and teeth have always just been a thing for me. And I've generally just enjoyed going to the dentist as a child. I've never had a cavity in my life. Um, so I think that lends itself to part of my positive experience. I'm sure if I had a lot more work done, I probably wouldn't be where I am. Um, but registered dental hygiene is important and very vital for the second half of my story as to how I fell into then myofunctional therapy because it was in working as a registered dental hygienist that um, I was working for a pediatric dentist who actually was able to really pinpoint and gauge what was exactly the root of a lot of the issues that my children had. Mm -hmm. So as a mom of four, you know, commonly you're a parent too. You know, typically we are around other people and they'll ask, how's everything? How are the kids? And 
everything's always good or it's good and you give them all the good news but nobody ever sells any of the bad stuff right like I don't tell that my husband my son and his ADHD it's deeply you know bothering everything in our lives all aspects behavior and impulse control you know constantly with the the grades and the schooling or that my daughter is 10 and still wetting the bed every night and then is also having these issues where they're sleepwalking and night terrors and all sorts of stuff and you're not going to divulge many of these negative things that are going on in your life Um, But it was with that pediatric dentist, actually, and in talking over a lot of those things with her that we got down to the root that a lot of that stemmed with what it is that I do now and what I dived into that myofunctional therapy, how they were using those muscles of their face, how they were breathing, and all of that really lend itself to, you know, my origin story in myofunctional therapy. Yeah, and it sounds like all that uh, your origin story and, you know, your experience with your children and you're working with, um, you mentioned, uh, three people, uh, Sandra Holtzman, Louise Laney, uh, I believe I got that right. And then, uh, Sarah Hornsby, you work with those folks to develop your knowledge of the, uh, oral facial, um, uh, my, is that right? Myology knowledge? Yes. Correct? Yep. Okay. Yeah. We'll make sure I'm saying it right. Oh, no, you're doing a great job. This is fantastic. I'm loading you up with all those complex words and you're nailing it. Yeah, I appreciate that. So maybe, I mean, and I I assume that all lends itself to myofunctional therapy. I mean, I know I'm throwing out some big words there, um, but is is that right? I mean, can can you kind of help us along that, that route there? So with the myofunctional therapy, it's very interesting because it, it stems back into dentistry mm-hmm. in the early 1900s. And it actually goes back to the father of orthodontics. So like the first person who came up with anything that was shifting the teeth was mm-hmm. actually a part of the creation of myofunctional therapy. Okay. But the word tend to evolve a bit as we hit the 70s and um, other professions got involved, then it changed into oral facial myology. And now it's kind of swinging its way back into myofunctional therapy. So it's kind of all intertwined. Okay. But the oral facial myology, yes, is um, where I got my start in coursework and so forth in uh, learning essentially from many of those leaders, those three that you mentioned, you know, Hornsby, Laney, and also um, Holtzman. Very, yeah. very interesting. I find it, it happens in my field as well of psychology and counseling where things can kind of get, you know, juggled around and they tend to be the same thing. It just depends on uh, what side of the field that you might be on and depending on what you might call it. But a lot of those things lend to, to blend into themselves. Um, and so I think a lot of this is uh, kind of inspired you to start what well, you you call the Mayo spot, which is you're basically a leader on a quest to, um, for myofunctional uh, therapy awareness and just trying to really educate the public, which is really the purpose that you're here today is to kind of help us understand how it impacts us and our families. Uh, and you've, you've written a book about that as well. So could you share a little bit more? Absolutely. So I'm so passionate about myofunctional therapy and I need as many people as possible to know about how 
the oral facial function really can impact so many other aspects of your life. Um, I think with a lot of other methods of um, medicine and healthcare, it's a lot of palliative care. Like we're really just trying to put a Band-Aid on things. But with myofunctional therapy, we're trying to dig down and get into the root of a lot of these issues that really do um, compound over the years when there's really, we can get to the root from just the top, just from the neck up, we can work on it. Um, so I wrote a lovely book, Accomplished, How to Sleep Better, Eliminate, Burnout, and Execute Goals. This book available on um, Amazon, you can get it in a paperback or on a Kindle version, is a fantastic like introduction because I get into it without getting too complicated, which is 100% you know, my goal. A lot of times things can be overly complex and when it gets too complex, you tune out, you know, yeah. nobody has time for anything that yeah. they have to process to understand. So it breaks it down to a really, really simple level. How can you just get better sleep from this? How can you eliminate the burnout that many of us feel, you know, sleep and exhaustion is a, an absolute epidemic in this country. And that's going to be something that I think, you know, we need to talk more about is how to get out of these routines and these ruts that we develop ourselves in and how you can just do that by working on your simple oral facial function. Subscribe to the True Success Podcast for free now on anchor.fm. Yeah, I think you said something that's extremely important there, and that's to that's to understand at the basic level, you know, some of these more complex things, you know, and a lot of these um, doctors, uh, therapists, and other folks, you know, in these technical fields will throw out these big words and we're quite like, you know, I don't quite understand and your eyes glaze over and they've just given you some bad news, right? And and it's really hard to handle. Um I, you know, a specific case for, for myself, um, I remember years ago when I first injured my back, they told me that, you know, I was a candidate for surgery and they were giving me a lot of different things. And it was in that moment, for some reason, I decided to ask additional questions. What are the alternatives, right? Because a lot of folks will go for the quick solution rather than and I was more or less the guy, and even this comes boils down to my leadership philosophy is get to the root cause, which you even mentioned root cause in, in that last dialogue. And so, and that's what I was trying to get after. I was like, what are the alternatives? Like, what's the less invasive piece of this? You know, that way I don't have to do something that's permanent, which I might regret later. Um, and, and it could be some really simple thing, but a general practitioner may not quite understand because they don't have the level of knowledge or may even know to refer you to a particular specialist sometimes like yourself. Um, and so I kind of went through that myself, uh, and to kind of bring this forward, uh, my, my, my youngest son who was born, uh, what, a little bit over a year ago, um, January, 2020, uh, I remember we, we talked about this before, but he had a tongue tie, or at least we thought we had a tongue tie. And the doctor was like, yeah, it's like tongue tie. 
the, the, you know, and he was having struggled, you know, and we had never experienced this before after four kids, this is the first one we had the biggest challenge with. And then even the breastfeeding nurse that, or not nurse, but the uh, technician or specialist, whatever you want to call her, um, came by and it was like, yeah, I really think, think he has a tongue tie. You should get a referral to a dental hygienist and I'm, th- or not hygienist, but a, a, a pediatric dentist. And I'm thinking, what does that have to do with, you know, what, what does the dentist do with the tongue tie? And then I was like really out in a place where I was in left field. I didn't know, really know what to do. I was not familiar with the space um and it was during the, the middle of the pandemic so there was some some things that had to happen and they were an hour away from our home and you know we weren't really sure because this was like march april time frame at the height and so it was difficult and uh, you know my wife was experiencing difficulties my son was experiencing difficulties you know and it just wasn't going as easy as the other four children and uh, I know that you um, talk about the truth behind tongue ties. And I'd be curious to hear what you have to say. So you have an experience that is so similar to many, many other people out there. There's not a lot of cohesive information. Um, a lot of people are saying it's a fad. It's something that's recent and that's just come up. And that's actually not the truth at all. In fact, midwives used to keep a long fingernail way before gloves were ever used, early 1900s. That way they can just you know, release the tie with just their little fingernail, a swipe of the fingernail underneath and sniff it. That way the baby could effectively breastfeed because Mm -hmm. you need to have that tongue to come up, to cup and to compress against that nipple in order to get the milk flowing, right? So a lot of times there's a a compounding issue as far as whether the baby has good enough latch to get the mom to actually produce and to stimulate production of breast milk or whether the breast milk is there and then the baby just can't make the transfer of that milk. It's going to be a complex, you know, dynamic that you really, one, have to just basically understand that medicine is medicine. It's been that way for a long time. They get very little education when it comes to the mouth and even less education when it comes to sleep. Okay. So these two things, I think I wind up talking about the most because the doctors just don't understand. So when they look at the baby and they say, yeah, it might be a tie or no, I don't think it's going to affect anything. They're not really coming from a place of like well-rounded knowledge, right? So that's the first thing. So then you come across your functional specialist, that's your lactation consultant, or some people might even go and see a feeding therapist and they might be feeding and having trouble with the bottle. When you go see the feeding therapist or the uh, functional specialist like lactation consultant, that's when they're able to actually see the dysfunction happening. So they're watching the breastfeeding, they're seeing that something's going off and that that swallow is not working right or that compression is not working right or that latch is not where it's supposed to be. So what happens with the tongue tie is that you're unable, that strong, that small string of tissue is unable to allow the tongue to get proper range of motion, okay? Now, sometimes it's very obvious and it'd be the tip of the tongue that is connected to the floor of the mouth or it's a little further back and it's less obvious, but it still impacts function because there's a lot of motion that has to happen with that tongue when we're breastfeeding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So all of that has to be released because these are some strong connective tissue bands that really do attach throughout the body. So we have our deep line fascia and fascia connector is a connective tissue band that goes around all the musculature. But this fascia line, the deep front line actually goes from the tongue all the way to the toes. So it can impact a number of things if we leave that tongue tied. So let's say you say, okay, and we're not gonna do anything about the tongue tie. What we're going to do is we're just going to, you know, bottle feed. And the baby bottle feeds fine because bottle feeding is a completely different mechanism from breastfeeding. But then we have issues with toe walking or we're having struggles reaching some of our goals or we're retaining reflexes over the time that we should. A lot of these things wind up as, unintended consequences mm -hmm. of what seemed like a solution for a problem when it didn't actually solve the problem at all. So in releasing the tie, typically with a pediatric dentist, because they do go through extensive training on all of these fascial bands and how to do a complete release, because you never want to go and just have a little snip done. The snip is almost never going to deal with the posterior mm -hmm. component or the back end component of that tie. So with the pediatric dentist, they go in and many of them use a laser, some of them use scalpel, and then you would go in and they deal with the entire tie, not just what you can see, but also within those fascial bands to get that fully released. So that's why you were sent to the pediatric dentist. That's why dentistry is really on the front line of this thing. It's not a fad in any which way, shape or form. It's actually the best thing you could have done for your child. No, that's interesting. And I had no idea that it could cause, you know, other challenges along the way. Um, and, and it just seems like a, just a very simple procedure, uh, you know, and it seems like so scary because, you know, you're taking your newborn child, right? Uh, or not, maybe not, maybe it's a few months old, like mine was, and you're going to take it to the dentist and they're going to cut something, you know, and it's like, uh, and especially the mouth, you know, because we're so sensitive sometimes in the mouth and, you know, it's probably more of a parent's fear than anything. Um, but what, you know, I guess what should, and you may have answered this already, but what should a new mom um, do if you basically feel that your child has a tongue tie? And not only that, but uh, what about a, what about a father? You know, what could a father do in the situation? Because I know after four kids and my wife got frustrated, um, I was like, okay, give me the baby. And that's kind of when I was at home most of the time at that point. Um, and so I developed a bond with my son that I normally wouldn't have had, but at nine, oh. 10 o'clock at night, I'm rocking him to sleep when mom's normally breastfeeding him to sleep because mom's frustrated at this point, you know, and there's other things going on, but, and then I'm back up at two or three o'clock in the morning trying to rock him back to sleep, you know, because breastfeeding is just not working out. I mean, he's fine now and they're doing well. I mean, they're thriving, both of them, you know, 13, 14 months later, but I had to have some intervention as well, you know, in that process. So I don't know if you knew moms and what can fathers do as well? I think that what you did is fantastic. Every mom that is struggling with breastfeeding needs a great support system. So being that support system is everything. That's the mm -hmm. world. 
together, the both of you, both mom and dad or mothers and fathers, whoever's a support system, even if it's an extended family member, should be advocating for this child. So if your pediatrician is saying no, get another opinion, get an opinion of a pediatric dentist or a functional specialist. Typically, it's going to be something that is going to be addressed by your lactation consultant or a feeding therapist. But if you want to make a straight line and just be line to the pediatric dentist, go straight there. They will give you a 100%, you know, yes or no. And does this need to be released or can we do something else about it in the interim? Yeah. And I think the important thing here also is, is, if things aren't working out, don't blame yourself, get a second expert opinion. Um, because yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, it's just a very vulnerable position to be as a mother. Um, and he, you know, it, with a newborn child, and you always think you're the problem. <laughs> and really, it's not. Um, sometimes it's, you know, a simple procedure. Because uh, I, I know my wife was extremely hard on herself and just struggled because he was like after four kids she was like i i think i know what i'm doing you know and she just completely struggled with that so uh, i think that's really important to to not blame yourself um the other uh, thing i'll so say is, uh-huh. yeah, yeah 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 for sure the other thing i'll ask is um you mentioned that your son had um adhd so um and i know that adhd is like a commonly um diagnosed thing today and I've always kind of been curious about it. You know, my, when I grew up, my grandparents, and I wasn't a high strung kid, but I guess that's what people would call ADHD sometimes. <laughs> but uh, they would say, well, they just need to go outside and burn it off, you know, or, you know, go run laps around the house or they would, you know, do something, right? Because they just thought you just had an excessive amount of energy. But yeah. it seems like, you know, we diagnose a lot of children today with ADHD and we medicate them. And they may or may not be, um, and there, you know, I guess there's some controversy behind that, but what are your thoughts about ADHD misdiagnosis? So ADHD, I think the very first and most prominent thing to remember about ADHD is that it's not something that you really like test for per se, or you get like a blood test and you're like, yes, you have ADHD. It's not something that's definitively diagnosed. It's something that is diagnosed based on symptoms and presentations that, the patient is essentially coming to the provider with, and there's a vast majority of providers that are able to give out this diagnosis, right? So it's not just like you go to a specialist and that's the only person who can tell you you have ADHD. So because there's a large spectrum of providers and a, a, you know, a scale that we can go on as to whether or not it is ADHD, we have to then take the symptoms into consideration. The symptoms of ADHD have a 70% overlap with the symptoms of sleep disorders in children, okay? That's 70% overlap leaves a lot of room for error where something that we perceive as ADHD might actually be a child that's struggling with sleep. Now, children that are struggling with sleep are different from adults that are struggling with sleep. When adults are struggling with sleep, we tend to be lethargic. We have burnout, we're tired, we're exhausted. Kids that are struggling from sleep, 
wired you ever seen a kid that's like so like all over the place and you're like wow they're gonna sleep well tonight yeah. that's a child a tired yeah. child they, they get ramped up they have no idea what to do with the fact that they're so tired so the body's just burning off extra energy and hopefully they'll be able to sleep the next night um that among the, the hyperactivity, among other things, lack of focus and so forth, the behavior and impulse controls, these things tend to overlap with the sleep disorders. So I would say when it comes to ADHD, when there's any suspicion of ADHD, what I would do first now in hindsight, because, you know, I spent years fighting the diagnosis of the ADHD with my son and then accepting it. And then I spent a couple of years medicating it. So in hindsight, what I would do is the first thing I would do, the first step is to get a sleep study, get a sleep study, determine whether there's a sleep issue. If there is a sleep issue, then that's what the focus should be on, something that we can actually deal with and do it without medication as opposed to, you know, the ADHD, where it really seems like the only solution they have right now is medication. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you there. And I, I had no idea that sleep was a function of that, uh, or it could be an underlining cause. Uh, it seems like it's polar opposites. Kids, you know, when they struggle with sleep, they go, you know, they're, they're wired and energetic. And then as adults, we're you know, um, exhausted, get to burnout, you know, and, and it's like, now I understand the stress and they're pulling apart from each other, you know, cause the parents are tired, like, just go to sleep. And kids are like, I can't, you know, <laughs> so it, I see, I see where it's going from here. Um, and I understand my household a little bit better now because my kids are wired <laughs> and it's very difficult to be on a routine and I'm burnt out because I'm actually have a diagnosis of sleep apnea, mild case. And I actually want a sleep app or a CPAP, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, but, uh, you know, uh, I think one of the things that you did, you, you did talk about was, is how to overcome a child's um, uh, ADHD naturally. And I guess that would be the sleep, correct? If I'm not wrong. Absolutely. Addressing the sleep. So with children, there's like a few different factors to address when it comes to the sleep. One is what's going on muscularly as they're lying down. Is their airway collapsing? Is there a sleep apnea or a sleep disorder breathing? Are they mouth breathing? Sometimes it's just the fact that they're mouth breathing at night. And so we would do things as far as the myofunctional therapy to help with what's going on physiologically with their sleep. Then for children, it also tends to be that the children who have a lot of those issues have narrow arches, narrow dental arches. And so the first line of therapy for children is not a CPAP. It would be actually to go see an orthodontist and start doing palatal expansion because the palate or the roof of the mouth is actually the floor of the nose. So that's going to allow to get more air into the body which is what a CPAP would do in an adult. A CPAP is continuous positive airway pressure. It's pushing in that air. Whereas with the children, opening up mm -hmm. their nasal floor is going to help them get more air naturally. So, so tell me a little bit about 
you know, because we all know sleep is important, right? But it's the very first thing we steal from. I mean, even as adults. Uh, and we've learned that behavior over time, even as children. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, Friday and Saturday nights, you think that you can stay up till two o'clock in the morning and get back <laughs> up at six or seven and go back at it again. And we just, just, we just developed these extremely poor, and I'll call it sleep hygiene, because I think that's the proper term, um, not sleep habits. I think it's really should be, um, we should get in the habit of calling it sleep hygiene. But, um, you know, how does the, the, the poor sleep behavior um, impact our health and productivity for the most part? So when it comes to the sleep, I think, you know, what you said just put a, a, a nail right in there. It is absolutely in how we view it. So we view it as something that we can just take from. We don't really need to sleep. You know, we can just be out on Friday and Saturday nights and, you know, we'll be able to function fine. We are actually creatures of habit, creatures of routine. Even as adults, people talk so much about children, so much about babies and infants and toddlers and routines, right? Like kids are the only people who need routines. The sleep is going to benefit the most from being structured. Our circadian rhythm is just that. It's a rhythm. It's got to keep its continuous flow. So our sleep is really based around that structure. And that's going to really lie itself mostly upon having a routine, making sure that you are giving yourself a certain process before you go to bed because you want to start to wind down the body as the body's going to start going into stage one and stage two, where the body's really winding itself down and shutting off certain systems. Mm -hmm. That's what you want to do. You want to prep yourself for bed and keep it around the same time of night establish a solid routine for your sleep. And that's going to lend itself to a lot of benefits in just you being able to sleep and sleep better and be more consistent. Now, does that mean that you can never go out on a Friday night? Absolutely not. But it shouldn't be, you know, every Friday night. You yeah. Try to keep yourself as consistent as possible while being realistic. And I think that it lends itself to the best sleep hygiene routine of all. I think that's great advice. And I appreciate that. Um, what are some of the, uh, you know, I guess the blocks uh, in the brain that, that really can impact our productivity when it comes to all this? Oh, man, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> so the number one thing that is going to block the brain when it comes to product productivity is going to be an, a lack of oxygen, right? Like we have to oxygenate properly in order to get our brain to function mm -hmm. at its peak. So if I had to pick anything else, I would absolutely pick the breathing, right? Because the body is going to prioritize and we need oxygen. That's just a matter of fact, right? We can go without food for some time. We can go without water for some time, but we're gone in like a matter of minutes if we're not breathing, right? Yeah. So the breathing is going to be critical. It's going to power every cell in our body. And if the body is not getting optimal oxygen, then what's going to happen is that it's going to start to prioritize. And if it's prioritizing things like the heart and the other organs that we need to function, and it's giving the brain a little bit of something, but not all of that, well, that's where you're going to have problems keeping your focus. You're going to have issues with, you know, being able to 
um, really process thoughts 100%. There have been a lot of studies and when there's some sleep deprivation and when there's a lot of mouth breathing during sleep, but the sleep disordered breathing, you find a lot of horror test results in, mm -hmm. in college age students. Mm -hmm. You're going to find that you're not actually being as productive as possible. Um, so I would say that the biggest block in the brain would be with the breathing. And many people don't realize that there is an actual proper way to breathe. And when we have our lips closed, our tongue should be up against the roof of our mouth. It's going to stimulate and activate that vagus nerve. It's also going to stimulate the floor of the nasal um, passage. And what's going to happen is you'll be able to get that nasal breathing going right. Our nose is primed and prepped for wonderful oxygenation. What's gonna happen with the air as it passes through is it's gonna get filtered through those nose hairs. It's going to get warmed and it's going to be optimized. So we're gonna get a lot of nitric oxide, which is going to help that um, oxygen uptake within those cells. Mm -hmm. We're going to be able to get adequate oxygenation. So biggest barrier is going to be not really getting that breath in and you're going to be giving yourself a huge disadvantage when it comes to you know being your most productive self yeah i think that's really really interesting that you mentioned about the college students uh for me and i didn't know this before and until you just mentioned it but it makes sense to me i work in the academic environment a little bit and sometimes we have to have students retest because they do poorly on an exam, you know, and we have these things called ISAPs and other things, you know, which, you know, try to understand like these, these, these different things that can impact a student's learning. But uh, I would say if, if somebody ever was to come, and this is why, you know, people like you are extremely important um, to be out there to raise awareness is if a student ever said, came back, said, well, I didn't sleep well last night. Um, because, you know, I, you know, um, I have this collapsed airway when I sleep and I snore and I stop breathing for two or three minutes at a time, which is extremely dangerous, right? Um, and I'm lacking oxygen to the brain and which is why I wasn't able to retain information or I performed poorly on the exam. People would be like laugh and say, where did you come out with that? That was like way out of left field. And I mean, I before you would have told me that, I would have thought the same thing. But if somebody comes to me now, um, I could be an advocate for them, but uh, I can also see my peers and some other folks be like, you're crazy. Like, why, why would you believe something like this? So what, what are your thoughts? I mean, like, how can we inform other folks when it comes to this? There's tons of research. I would say, you know, look into the studies would be first and foremost, um, a great PubMed search on, you know, just oxygenation and college test results would bring up a bunch of stuff. Um, so I think the, the biggest way to get that awareness is honestly to keep it as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. um, when you think about the body and you think about the breathing, just go back to what I said before. Mm -hmm. Like we can't go but for a few minutes without air. We have to breathe. So when there is a problem and there's something going on with the breath, we need to take it as seriously as possible because that is our life source. Yeah. If there's nothing we can do without it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, 
No, I mean, you're in the business of myofunctional therapy and we've been talking about sleep and, and CPAPs, but um, how do you, you know, you, and I've never heard of anybody ever getting off a CPAP, right? Once you're on it, you're on it. And, um, and I've probably had three or four different sleep studies over the last 20 years and they've swapped me from machine to machine, depending on the provider, because you move and everybody has their preferred method. And obviously, you know, the, the mass change and, you know, there's a lot of things like that. And there's some really cool technology that from 20 years ago, I've, I've seen it change and develop over time, but how do you, you know, how do you get people off of their CPAP, you know, so they don't have to use it. Cause I know it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem for me. I don't even like it. it it's, it's, it's bothersome. Oh. <laughs> that is a huge problem yeah. though and you know the CPAP compliance rate is incredibly low so mm -hmm. out of all the people that are actually diagnosed with sleep apnea and then told that they need to use a CPAP only 30% of them actually use the CPAP so you're part of one of the the good yeah. part you're you're in that 30% yeah. so thank you for one using it yeah. but then um, I think the biggest problem with it is that compliance being able to lay down and have that thing on your face, pushing yeah. in that air. There's not a lot of structural awareness and or sensory perception that's been uh, optimized in order to receive a CPAP. So the CPAP machine is in and of itself something that's going to be helpful, right? Mm -hmm. But we have to look at why it's there. It's keeping open all of that airway right. because everything as you lie back is starting to relax those muscles are relaxing and the tongue is big culprit and falling back into that airway mm -hmm. so with the myofunctional therapy what we're doing is we're trying to strengthen and tone the soft palate which is mm -hmm. going to have that uvula on it so we're trying to lift that up and get that to be higher we're trying to get the posterior tongue muscles to be stronger. We're keeping that tongue up and out of the airway as much as possible. People don't realize how long the tongue is. When your tongue falls back into your airway, your tongue is actually gonna go down to like C4. So that's going to be pretty wow. down in there. Yeah, it's, it's pretty far it's down pretty in far there. Down. Exactly. So when you get that tongue up and out of the airway, you're really freeing up a lot of space. So when we see those wonderful cases, because we do have cases of people who are just able to tolerate their CPAP better. And then there's those wonderful cases where they're actually able to come off of it and they actually have reduced their a, um, HI scores and they are cleared from their sleep apnea. A lot of that is going to have to do with the muscles and what's going on with the muscles as they are lying down and sleeping. Hey everyone, as one of our preferred listeners, your feedback is the utmost importance to the True Success Podcast, and I am constantly striving to provide that ideal experience for our listener, and your input helps us to define that experience. That being said, if you could just take a minute to repost a review online, I would so appreciate it and look forward to you listening to the show in the future. So check out this review by Ben Colloy, who said, Kirby is such a great human being, and you can't help but be inspired to do more in your own life when you're around him. Excited to see this resource finally get out there. Well, thank you, Ben. I appreciate the comment and the review.
Yeah, you know, I think this is a pretty pretty important conversation because I remember myself as a young manager, um, you know, 20, 25 years ago, I was always challenged with sleep, you know, and there's a lot of sleep deprivation that you go through, especially in the business world. And, uh, you know, just, just understanding all of this in how important that would have been for me to have that information back then, uh, probably would have lent myself to be more productive, you know, uh, be able to think better on my feet, uh, not be so groggy and need a pot of coffee to wake up in the morning, you know, things like that. Um, I know that my behaviors and stuff have changed over time, uh, just with a little bit better sleep hygiene. And I might be down to like two or three cups of coffee, uh, a day versus an entire, yeah. And the, 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 you know, that's a lot compared to having a pot before noon and then making another pot, you know, wow. uh, you know, it, but it was, it got crazy there for a while, you know, and, and I can see, how other, you know, folks today would still be, I mean, when you're at home all day, you're working from home because of the current environment. Uh, and it's a lot easier to go back and forth to the kitchen. Um, I even caught myself like taking advantage of the coffee station at home more and more, you know, just because of our environment. So, um, and, and I, I know that caffeine has a huge effect on our sleep too. Um, I used to have this app on my phone where I would measure how long the, the effects of caffeine would last. So, um, and making sure I shut it off before a certain time, that way it didn't bother me as I went to sleep because I was already complicating and adding another layer of challenges, difficulties on top of trying to sleep. Um, and that's just my personal story. Uh, you know, you know, this has been a great conversation. I really do appreciate all the knowledge and information that you provided up to this point. You know, and you have the Mayo spot currently right now, and you're you're a published author. You know, um, and where do you where do you expect? You know, you've done all these things. You know, and, and it's pretty amazing what what you've done up to this point and what you're currently doing. Where do you find yourself in ten or twenty years? Ooh, in 10 or 20 years, I really hope to be doing this same thing, but on a grander scale. Mm -hmm. So I would like to be helping more people, perhaps having the Mayo spot in more than one location, being outside of just one area and being able to help, you know, a large number of people. I really see myofunctional therapy in 20 years mm -hmm. being a household understanding. Because if we go back to, you know, at least 20 years ago, I don't think as many people were aware of lactation consultants. Mm -hmm. And now it's like a common thing. Yeah. Everybody knows what that is. So I think that that's where I see myself in really pushing this as much as possible and getting a lot more people helped in a natural way. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I, uh, I know this is probably not a planned question of mine, but you know, we talked about the mile spot and where you happen to be at in 10 or 20 years. Um, and you mentioned that, you know, you're, you're, you want to expand or have this expansion. Um, what's the area that you're currently serving now? So I currently serve a large part of New Jersey. I okay. will say that COVID has served me well in that I do teletherapy too. Yeah. So I see people from pretty much everywhere, yeah. but I would like to see more, you know, in-person locations right and that's what i was going to ask you like you know uh, there has you know it sounds like there's this intent or 
this purpose to kind of you know expand even further out there whether it be regionally or nationally and whether or not you're able to do that um and we have this wonderful thing called zoom and um, google meetups and all these things and what you know could somebody contact you today from say california or new jersey and be able to uh you know make a difference Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I am seeing people from all over the country currently and I'm enjoying it. Yes. I would love to see more of them in person though, but <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. We'll and save it's good that for know. 15 years from now. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's good to know because I think, you know, I mean, even with, you know, my sonority that I brought up earlier, like, you know, if we could have just had a consultation with a pediatrician, you know, with, on a teleconference or a video conference, you know, and, and we were kind of restricted by COVID at the time. And it was an hour and 15 minutes just to drive there. Mm -hmm. um, and during this, this uncertain time, I mean, today, um, I would say dental hygienists are probably the best. I just went to the dentist and got my annual cleaning. So, oh. <laughs> and it, it was one of the safest environments that I've ever probably been in. So I, I give my, my hats off to them, but, uh, and it was just, it was just like a regular routine visit. It wasn't like anything different other than a temperature check. Um, and so it was pretty amazing. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think if I, we had that capability, you know, and if, if probably more folks like yourself would, could do that, I mean, it might, might change things a little bit. Um, and I, I really do, you know, even with medicine today, they're going to telemedicine. I will tell you, it's worked so much more, you know, better <laughs> to be able to have that conversation with my doctor for 30 minutes, you know, and have that, 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 that reserve time. Um, and not have to transition to and from in the waiting room and, you know, all the folks that might be ill there. And uh, there's just a lot of things people are worried about and concerned with today. So uh, I, I appreciate that, um, that added value and the ability to be able to do this from, from, you know, the comfort of people's homes. So the next question that I have for you is, is how do you define you. true success? True success for me is really achieving a, a different level of fulfillment. So for me, my fulfillment is knowing that I've started my children off on a much better trajectory for their adult lives. Mm. And for me, I feel like I've already in a way reached that level of success. They, they are much healthier people today than they were five years ago. Um, but success as far as how I would define it in a larger scope is absolutely being of most service to others as you can possibly be. Yeah. And I, I, and I appreciate that. I mean, I think your children will appreciate the legacy that you've established for them and what you've done for them. And uh, they'll remember that for years to come, especially when they get older and they can really appreciate it. Um, uh, Cause I know when I was younger, I didn't <laughs> as much appreciation for all the things my parents may have put me through um, even my grandparents. But then once I got into an adult and I matured a little bit, I look back and I was like, Oh, wow. You know, they put me, they, they you know, they, they, they sent me off on the right trajectory. So um, last question. Um, uh, well, kind of second to last question, but uh, uh, 
what will be your ripple effect? So if you were to cast a stone in the water and that's once that stone hit, it created that ripple effect and, you know, uh, ripple out, uh, you know, from where that stone hit um, or even re you resonate within a particular community, uh, what would what would be that effect or that impact that you would have? Ooh, I like that. Uh, my ripple effect, I guess, in all of my promotion of the myofunctional therapy, I, I think that my ripple effect will be being a part of this eventual mm -hmm. household awareness of myofunctional therapy, getting more access to care for many more people, um, just by building the awareness. All right. And, and thank you very much. I, I really do appreciate that. So the last question, um, and not really a question, but an opportunity for you. Is there anything that you may not have mentioned earlier, or you would like to leave us with a parting message? And where can we find you in the future? Parting message is really just to drill in the fact that how you breathe matters. And it's going to impact so many other facets of your life. Um, so I would say that if you are definitely feeling like you're struggling, or even if you're unsure if you're struggling, but you know that you know something within the conversation has resonated with you, people can find me and reach out to me at my website. I do have um, a booking calendar there where they can book a free consultation. It's www.themyospot.com. Um, and if you're looking to just learn more, I would recommend either the book Accomplished, How to Sleep Better, Eliminate Burnout, and Execute Goals, or I also have a blog site where I do blog about all things myofunctional therapy. <laughs> That's airwaymatters.blog. Matters has an S on it. Well, Carissa, I, I really do appreciate it. We're going to drop links to all those things in the show notes so that it's easy for everyone to access and, and find you um, if they, you know, aren't able to remember it um, based where they're at and where they're listening to. Uh, hopefully you're not driving and trying to write these things down. <laughs> always come back to the show notes, but uh, 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 you're welcome to do that. And again, uh, it's an extremely valuable conversation. I have some things that I need to go back and look at and think about and discuss with my family as far as uh, myofunctional therapy from the eyes down to the shoulders. So again, uh, I, I really do appreciate the time that you shared with us and the value that you've added to this audience. So thank you. I appreciate so much you having me on. This has been fantastic, really enjoyable. Now it's up to you to put all this information into action. Please check out the links in the show notes, download a copy of the transcript, and support us by smashing that like button. Leave a comment or review on whichever platform you are listening to this show on. Now go out and carry this story forward. My name is Kirby Ingalls. I appreciate you listening to this episode. Honor your service to others and love the impact that you are creating. You've been listening to the True Success Podcast. I'll see you next time.